Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we got tons of mailback questions, of course, about Tom Brady's future, the Bucks free agents, the coaching situation, all of that coming up here on this show of Sports Day Tampa Bay with Steve Versnick. Uh, but first, some breaking news as we do this podcast. Sean Payton, the New Orleans Saints coach for the last 15 seasons, is stepping down. He is going to walk away uh, from the coaching profession, it appears. He is not saying that that is permanent, that he is uh, he's retiring or anything necessarily, but he is stepping down as the Saints coach. Uh, doesn't appear to be any um, imminent plans to uh, go to another another team. I thought maybe the Dallas Cowboys might be a destination for him. But it looks like, Steve, that maybe television is going to be his next stop. Apparently several networks courting him. I mean, there's talk that Troy Aikman could leave Fox to go to Amazon, who's going to start mm-hmm. doing NFL games and maybe Foxes after him. Monday Night Football booth. I think Brian Greasy's contract's coming up. Yep, uh, they could make go a different direction there. Lewis Riddick's always kind of rumored in some of the front office jobs in the around the NFL. Don't know if he has interest in that. And that so you know Monday Night Football could open up. And for a guy like Sean Payton, networks may make bigger changes too. So I think Sean Payton would be outstanding on television. Outstanding. I have done conference calls with every head coach in this league for the last, you know, 30 years, right? And there are certain guys that when you talk to them, they are always on. They're just always on. Um, Gruden was like that, naturally, and he made an easy transition to television, even though, you know, it got to be repetitive, right, with him. A lot of his sound bites were similar. Um, But Sean Payton, who, you know, is a play caller, I mean, understands the nuances of the game like nobody's business, and what, really one of the best coaches in the National Football League over the last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. But he can really uh, do a good job of breaking down the game, uh, understands the players, understands the job of coach, of GM, you know, just, just everything. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversations we've had with him. Uh, he's not my favorite person necessarily for different reasons, but um, he really has uh, just a knack um, for being authentic, right? I think authenticity is big in broadcasting. I think you have to always be yourself. Uh, and he is always definitively Sean Payton when you talk to him. So um, heard him on other shows, heard him as guest on Dan Patrick, other places. He's very entertaining. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would think that he would be a knockout on television. So, But, boy, does that change the NFC South a little bit. Now, you know, it's another head coaching opening, of course, Nobody is, and this is unusual. I think we are sitting here late January. Uh, the divisional playoffs are over. The championship round is approaching, and none of these teams, as we do this podcast, it may change by the time we're done taping, uh, have hired a head coach. Byron Leftwich is in Jacksonville as we do this podcast, interviewing for the second time, this time in person with Shad Khan. And so, you know, perhaps that job will be filled here quickly. We don't know. Um, but it is unusual that we're this this late into the year with that many openings. Now another one in New Orleans. You wonder if they'll pick from their current staff or not. Um, but some big changes. And then you think about the NFC South, um, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, this division, uh, you know, is going to be dominated, I think, by the Bucks if Tom Brady returns. It certainly could change if he doesn't. But losing Sean Payton, that is that is huge for the Saints because, you know, he has been – like I said, one of the top play callers, top coaches in this league. He had to be the and, second um, longest longevity coach, correct, behind Belichick? I would think only behind Belichick, right? 15 years? Yeah. yeah I mean, Pete I mean, Carroll's, Carroll's been, there, been a there a while. Yeah. Yeah. Had to check on that. Um, and Mike Tomlin, yeah. too. I guess Tomlin would be up there. Mike is 15 years right this year. I think his, he just okay. finished his 15th season. And John and so, Harbaugh yeah, just got a new contract. He's been there a while, but I don't think quite that long. Right. Yeah, but he was definitely one of the longest tenured coaches, and and uh, you know dominated dominated the South this division. So you lose you lose a coach like that uh, on a football team. It's very very hard to replace the success he had. Of course, won a Super Bowl with the Saints and Drew Brees. Actually, and, he and, is. You know, I just looked it up. He is Peyton was second behind Belichick. 
There you go. Tomlin. Okay. Peyton was hired in 06, Tomlin 07, Harbaugh mm-hmm. 08, Pete Carroll 2010. There you go. And Andy Reid 2013. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and this is Andy's second stint, right? Because he was with uh, Philadelphia before that. But... Yeah, but I mean current team. I mean, Yeah, current team, yeah. Yeah, longevity. Yeah, no, he's he was number two behind Belichick. I mean, that's the continuity in, of coaching in the NFL, I think, is the biggest thing that helps you with success. If you've got good coaches, you've got continuity of the coaches, yeah. that really helps. Now that Sean Payton and Mike Zimmer is no longer with their teams, the sixth most tenured coach in the NFL – is Sean McDermott, and he's been there five really? years. He was hired just over five years ago. <laughs> wow. Six. Just, just tells you something. Sean McVay is the next day behind McDermott. So, Yeah. But, I mean, five I'm, years. So that means all but five teams have had their head coach for five, just over five years or, or less at this point. That's pretty incredible. The turnover is incredible. That's just – that's the way it is in the NFL, though. You know, it used to be, you know, you would get four or five year deals, then maybe three year deal. Now it's, I think it's about two seasons. And if you don't hit it in two or have them on the right track for year number three, um, you know, you're you're not going to uh, you're not going to stick around very long. So See, Bruce Arians is the twelfth, no, eleventh most tenured coach. <laughs> he's top third, and he's hired three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, going because, into his fourth see, season, we, we he, think. He was 15 going into the season. Peyton's gone now. Zimmer's gone. Uh, Nagy's gone. John Gruden's gone. Yeah, he's 11th most. He's been here three years. Yeah, man. That's the state of the uh, That's the state of the NFL. That's the, and that's what hurts teams, and... Nobody's patient, you know. These these owners do not they do not buy green bananas. They want to win. They want to win now. And I think a lot of franchises fall into the trap of change the coach, change the quarterback, and they overlap. The GMs overlap. I think some teams this year are trying to do it right by hiring both the GM and the coach and marrying them together. I think you're better off when that situation happens. Obviously, Jason Light had a history with Bruce Arians, so they they're sort of joined at the hip. I think in some sense. Um, and then, you know, people are still questioning. I get this question all the time, and we'll discuss it here in just a second, about about whether, you know, is Bruce Arians truly committed to coming back and coaching the Bucks next season with or without Tom Brady? So we'll get into that, as well as your mailback questions. The 18th Annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, presented by RP Funding. It's happening this year, February 25th to the 27th. One of the best events in the area every year. This temporary circuit, you know, it's a 1.8-mile 14-turn configuration through the downtown streets of St. Pete, circling Pioneer Pioneer Park, the Duke Energy Center for the Arts, the Daly Museum. And, of course, it extends all the way onto the runways at Albert Witted Airport. So visit gpstpete.com for race information and tickets. Yeah, this, this uh, you know, I, I talked to Bruce Arians before the divisional playoff game and wrote a story in, in Sunday's Tampa Bay uh times and you can read it on tampa bay.com and listen looking back on it i mean i don't know what he could have said i i wasn't like i was trying to put on the spot but i just we were talking about brady and he thought brady would come back he just saw his enthusiasm on that final friday when they were doing the quarterback challenge and all this stuff and couldn't imagine him not wanting to play and i don't think it's a question of want i think it's something else his family primarily and then i asked him well what about you are you back and he goes oh yeah no i'm coming back and i said with or without brady he goes oh yeah Absolutely, and he reiterated that the other day. But I think we're all sort of kind of like wondering, like, well, you know, if they get the word that Brady isn't coming back, is Bruce really in it for a rebuild or a reload, as he calls it? And you know what? Some of that might depend also on whether or not, and, and I'm sure they're hard at work already evaluating this, whether or not they think they can get, you know, another veteran quarterback in here that can win right away. Um, I don't, you know. I don't necessarily see the Buccaneers as a team that's going to have to start over. Uh, like, say, you might, you know, if in Green Bay, if, um, you know, you lose, if you trade out Aaron Rodgers or, you know, you have all the salary cap problems, uh, even though Green Bay has a lot of good football players on their contract. I don't think, I think the Bucs still have a really good core and they got, they got enough money to re-sign a good number of these free agents. But you can make an argument that, like, what would be in it for a 70-year-old head coach if he has to start over? 
uh, with you know with predominantly a new team uh, and without that iconic quarterback. I mean, that's that's a fair question. Um, Bruce is going to have to have surgery on his Achilles, I'm sure. Uh, that's going to knock him out, knock him down for several months. He'll probably be back, maybe not for OTAs or even the mandatory minicamp. We'll see, but um, you know he'll be out there, obviously. But uh, you know he's got some health issues and has had some health issues through the years. So he'll be 70 next October 3rd. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a long distinguished career, but I think for sure, if Brady comes back, he'll coach. And he, and the thing is it, you can't, you know, you can't really make that decision. Like for example, if he's basing it on Brady and Brady decides to wait, you know, let's say Brady waits until almost March. Well, at that point, are you really going to go out and, and try to hire coaches? Cause if you hired a head coach, you know, all your assistants are under contract. They can't go anywhere. So it'd be a, it'd be a situation similar to when Gruden came, where John came in, he couldn't hire any defensive coaches. Their whole staff was under contract. They kept them. They kept them because Parcells wanted them, and then Parcells backed out, and they were still under contract. And when he got here, it was like, yeah, you can't bring any defensive coaches with you. Um, that would sort of be the case if Arians were to leave. Uh, in which case, I would I still believe that if, if, if Todd Bowles and or Byron Leftwich were still on the staff. One of those guys would probably become head coach. Well, that was going to be my question. Fix. <clears throat> my yeah. question was going to be if you know Bruce is going to wait to decide. Let's say, assuming that it yeah. is a decision, maybe it's he is definitely coming back. Yeah, because if he's waiting for Tom and or what the quarterback situation may look like, right. does it become a situation where he's got the coach in waiting, or maybe two of them, perhaps? Mm-hmm. So even if he steps down in March. Or let's even say he waits till June, July to make that decision. That yeah. the continuity of the staff is not the issue. They're all under contract too. All those assistants mm-hmm. are under contract. Right. They all got you know new if, deals after the Super Bowl. If anything, him waiting, and this is all presuming he say let's say he does retire. I mean, he may stay. Yeah. But by waiting, he almost ensures that his guys stay. That they all pretty have jobs. much because yeah. Who else are you going to go hire at that point? Yeah. And I think the Glazers would be, um, mm-hmm. you know, receptive to whether it was Todd or Byron or somebody else on that side. I think they'd be receptive to considering those guys, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in that instance, if it was late, late into the the process, if something were to change, or if he just, you know, maybe that was his intent. I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna doubt his word. I'll say this about Bruce and other people that know him um, mm-hmm. tell me this, and they know him better than I do. They have told me guys that have known him for 30 years. They tell me when Bruce says something, he means it. Like there's no waffling with him. He goes either is or he isn't. And so I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced he's coming back myself. And he told me he was, so I, I don't want to call him a liar. Do things change? Yeah. Something could change. Mm-hmm. Brady might change the, the dynamic of that. I suppose the surgery on um, his Achilles could affect things. I mean, yeah, know, his health, his health could ob- obviously can change things. So, you know, life, life is not guaranteed to any of us. We don't know what, what tomorrow is going to bring. So you never say never, but I do. I do think the way he said it, um, and 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 sort of who he is as a person, um, he's he's pretty pretty blunt and pretty black and white. So I, I tend to think he is gonna gonna coach, but we don't know. Um, you know, Sean Payton may have done exactly what you're saying that could happen with Bruce Arians. I mean, he may have made it. I mean, there's still candidates out there. I mean, none of these teams. There's like six or what seven or eight openings. Have hired a head coach as we as we do this tape this podcast, so every the whole field is available, right? And the NFL is still continuing, so you still got a couple weeks uh, to go. The NFC Championship Sunday, this Sunday, then a week in between the Super Bowl and then the Super Bowl. So if you wanted to interview candidates from those teams, you you got to wait two or three weeks anyway. So the field is still there, right? There's still an entire universe of coaches that the Saints can talk to, um, but. You know, you wonder if if uh, maybe Sean wants to keep his staff intact and have them choose somebody like Dennis Allen, who is should be a head coaching candidate that has just absolutely crushed these guys. I mean, if Dennis Allen stays, that's a nightmare for the Bucks, right? Um, they have a really good coaching staff. I mean, Sean has has assembled a really good coaching staff there in New Orleans, so maybe they promote one of their guys from within. Maybe Dennis Allen gets it. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But we got lots of mailbag questions. Uh, let's go ahead and get started on these. And if we don't get to your question, we got a whole week of uh, Bucks talk and other things, so we will get to it uh, before the week's over. All right, David had tweeted us. said, I think it's fair to say that the Bucks defense lost the game at the end. Isn't it also fair to say that the defense, with their forced fumbles, recovered fumbles, et cetera, 
is the only reason they even had a shot to win it at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I, I have said this uh, in several interviews now. I believe that if the Bucks had won that game, you know, after being down 27-3 to and battling back and scoring with 40-something seconds to go to tie that game up, I think the conversation would have been as much about one of the most epic collapses by the Rams in, in NFL history, playoff history, as it would have been about anything Tom Brady did. I mean, we know Tom Brady – you know, had the 28-3 to comeback uh, in the Super Bowl 51 against Atlanta, and that will forever be, you know, sort of his mag- magic moments, right? Uh, his, the greatest comeback of all time in, in a Super Bowl. But it's also known for one of the worst collapses as well. I mean, it cost ultimately cost Dan Quinn his job, I think. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan, of course, ended up as the head coach of the 49ers, but he was the offensive coordinator in that debacle. But I think as much as it would have added to Brady's legacy, it would have forever, forever been the biggest nightmare, playoff nightmare uh, in Rams history and and, in NFL history because, you know, that kind of – 27 to 3, you know, that's a wrap. And here they had tied the game. So, um, yeah, the defense does get credit. Uh, You know, you had strip sacks. You had – uh, some help, you know, with a snap, you know, before, you know, the, the quarterback was even ready for that went, you know, straight through his hands. And all of a sudden, Matthew Stafford has got a pile of Buccaneers on top of him. But, you know, without those, they have no chance. And that's what it takes to come back from that deficit. I mean, if you merely just possess the ball, get a few first downs and run clock, the other team doesn't just simply doesn't have enough possessions. There's typically 10 to 12 possessions per team in a game. Um, there's no way the Bucks could have gotten the ball back enough times to score that many points, or they would have had to have scored a touchdown almost on every possession, but you kept giving the ball back to them. And yeah, I, I, you know, listen, I, it, the deep, but, but it, but and I'm sure we'll get to questions about this, but it, it's still undeniable, right? Undeniable. And who knows if they win in overtime, maybe they lose the coin toss and, like Kansas City, you know, the Rams go down, score, and, and the game's over. But it's undeniable that Bruce Arians would like to play those final 40-something seconds over again, and the reason is that defense was too risky. I mean, he talks about no risk it, no biscuit. Well, guess what? That plate was empty, baby. Those biscuits were long gone. You just, But you cost yourself the best biscuit in the world. You're going to host the NFC Championship game against the 49ers this Sunday. And you had battled all the way back, and then at the the ultimate moment with no timeouts and them needing, you know, certainly more than the 11 yards Bruce said they needed. They needed more like 20, 20-something yards for Matt Gay to get in field goal range. You ran an all-out blitz and got absolutely smoked on it. So that will be remembered. That play, that, that call uh, will be remembered in Buccaneer lore. You know what's interesting about that, by the way? And I thought about this a couple days ago. There was another NFC Championship game that the Bucs were winning. Six to five. Okay? Six to five. They were going to beat the, the greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams. In St. Louis. Two year, it was January 2000, 1999 season. Tony Dungy's a coach. Sean King's a quarterback. It's six to five. That's going to be your final score. The Rams had the ball, I think, on third down, maybe just across midfield, and they were going to have to continue taking shots. You know, uh, they were out of field goal range. I know that. And they called timeout. The Bucks had a blitz on. They called timeout, and Warren Sapp has told me the story a bunch of times. They went to the sidelines, and Monty Kiffin wanted to run those same blitz that they had already shown. That's why the Rams called timeout because the Rams didn't have a good play for it. So, Monty stick with the same stuck with the same call. They ran a blitz. Brian Kelly got left one on one with Ricky Prohl and actually covered him pretty well, but they gave Kurt Warner, you know, a one on one shot down the field with Ricky Prohl and he hit it for a touchdown with four minutes and forty four seconds to go, and that beat the Bucks. That play right there, beat them. Uh, and it was another blitz. So the moral of the story is, if you if you have a lead or you're tied, don't blitz the Rams in the fourth quarter because you're going to get smoked. 
in a playoff game. All right, Craig tweeted, Why is special teams not getting blamed? Two kickoffs out of bounds, a missed field goal, and Jalen Darden as a return guy is Dexter Jackson Part 2. No clue why Mickens is off the roster. To me, special teams lost this game as much as other parts of the game. Am I wrong? I think bonus points, definitely bonus points for mentioning Dexter Jackson. I mean, that's that's a good one. That's that's one that's out of the archives, right? Listen, they deserve the blame, a lot of it. And I've had conversations with coaches over there. They were aghast at the performance on special teams. Special teams, you know, we always – you only generally talk about them when they're really good or really bad. But they're very important for field position. You know, if you can remember that game – and I agree with, uh, you know, with the question in terms of Jalen Darden. From the beginning – and I watched all the training camp practices, all the preseason games. I watched all the games, obviously. I never saw – I saw one return that Jalen Darden made, and it was early uh, in the season. It was on a punt return. I think it was about 40 yards. And at that time, and maybe for the season, it was like the longest punt return of the year. But kickoff return is a different animal. I never saw him do anything with the kickoff returns. Now, you can blame – and maybe rightfully so. You can blame the other 10 guys that are supposed to be blocking for him um, because it always seemed as if some guy was running free that was going to tackle him. But there's also a certain physicality to that position, right? Um, most teams have eliminated kickoff returns. Most teams, like the Bucks, just try to kick it through the end zone and you get the ball at the 25. I mean, the league is all but eliminated kickoff returns because they've seen that that's where the highest you know occurrence of injuries are. And they really want the play out. I don't know why they kick it off at all. I don't know why they just don't put the ball in the 25. Um, but that said, I think the Rams, um, who are phenomenal at special teams, ironically enough with a kicker that the Bucks cut, Matt Gay, I think that they wanted Jalen Darden to return that ball because they knew he wasn't very good. They knew the Bucks special teams wasn't very good. And they pinned them inside the 20, sometimes inside the 10 after a kickoff. And, you know, you, you did have, I mean, you go back, you just look at the scoreboard, right? I mean, Ryan Suckup makes the field goal. That touchdown by Leonard Fournette puts them ahead. Um, you know, so it, it, I thought Bradley Pinion struggled, needless to say. kicking the. How do you kick a ball 55 yards across? How do you kick it out of bounds twice? How? I don't think it had happened all year. So he had been struggling with a hip injury, Um you know, I, I can't make an excuse for suck up, but, you know, there was a time a year ago when he was 91% and everybody was like, whoa, well, thank God they, they solved their kicking situation. And then they re-signed him to a contract. And you know what? Last year he was bad. He was bad this season, I mean. And, you know, again, in the biggest moment, and I don't know why they went for the field goal in that situation anyway because they were already down three touchdowns. But he misses from like 45, 48 yards, whatever it was. And all I can all I can come up with is, aside from the specialists, the Bucks really haven't invested well in special teams. And what I mean by that is, sometimes you got to have a starter run down there and cover. You know, now, you know, you don't want to bang your best players, but if if it matters, and 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 some of the guys you're playing with aren't any good, you know, you always make the you got to you got to play well on special teams to get a helmet if you're not a starter, usually on Sundays. But I don't know whether Keith Armstrong had the right players or it's Keith Armstrong's fault. I tend to think he didn't have the right guys. I tend to think that Jalen Darden, they felt, was just the best option. Although, you know, you could have put Scotty Miller back there. You could have put some other guys, um, even Keyshawn Vaughn. Whatever it was, it didn't work at the biggest game of the year. They got smoked. They got smoked by special teams. And when you play good football teams and you give up field position like that, um, you're not going to overcome it. And the Bucs couldn't overcome it, even though they had battled back to tie the game. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great point. I think special teams should and, and will continue to get some blame. And I think next year when they go into the season, it better be a big point of emphasis because it wasn't a surprise. The Bucs were one of the lowest-ranked special teams units coming into the playoffs and that and so and Green Bay was the worst. And what are the two teams sitting home right now in the NFC? Green Bay and Tampa Bay. So if you don't think special teams matter, just consider that.
All right, Steve tweeted, Hindsight being twenty twenty, should Leonard Fournette have downed himself at the one-yard line on the fourth and inches play at the end of the game and then given the Bucks four attempts to score while running out the clock? You know, I thought about that, but that that's an awful hard thing to do when you're trailing by a touchdown. If you're trailing by a field goal, absolutely, that's the play. You know, that's the play because you're going to trust that you're going to get a snap, a hold, and a good kick, you know, especially one from 20-something yards, right? You down yourself. You let the clock run down so that the kick just sends the game into overtime with no chance for them to come back and, and, and try to win it in regulation. If you're trailing by a touchdown, uh, I'm not so sure, you know, because you need seven, you need six, and then you need the extra point to tie. And listen, you can put the ball on a one-yard line if you want to. There's no guarantee that you're going to score. Um, it's a much higher percentage you could kick a field goal you know, down inside the five or whatever, uh, then you're going to score a touchdown. Things can happen. Bad snap, um, fumble, um, you know, couple couple stops and it's third and goal, fourth and goal. Like, do you really want that tension when you're inside a minute? I I think that he did the right thing. Is actually a brilliant play. I mean, they were clogging up the middle and he he bounced it out to the outside and found some space and ran it, you know, inside the pylon. So, I thought it was a really good play call. What was unfortunate was the play before. If you recall, I think it was Cam Bray came within. I thought he had the first down. I thought he made a catch on third down that would have given them a first down, you know. And, you know, maybe more clock runs that way or, you know, you get to another play. I don't know. Um, But they didn't spot the ball all that correctly. They moved it up a few inches, but they were still short of the yard to gain. So they were, you know, the game could have ended on that fourth down play. I think a lot of people forget that when Fournette ran it in to tie it, it was it was fourth and inches. And they didn't run a sneak, which is what I thought they were going to do. That would have burned a little more time if they ran a sneak, but they wouldn't have been in the end zone. You know, they're not tied. So, um, no, I think, I think when you're trailing by a touchdown, you know, under a minute to go, they got one time. I think you have to score and hope that your defense can keep them, um, you know, off the scoreboard. In under a minute, although, you know, tell that to the Buffalo Bills who, you know, all Patrick Mahomes needed was 13 seconds to get in field goal range and send that game in overtime. So you just you just never know. But it's a, it's a tough thing to ask um, when when you've been digging yourself out of a 20 to seven, to, you know, 27 to three hole and you've got a chance to score a touchdown, something you haven't done much of that day. I think you got to run it right in there like he did. All right, Michael had tweeted, and it kind of goes back to special teams, but why don't teams do the squib kick anymore? Burns precious seconds off the clock. Yeah, it does. Um, I I think field position is the reason. You know, you 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 know you gotta you gotta measure the clock. Like if if a team, you know, if a team needs a field goal, um, how much field position do you want to sacrifice for a couple seconds, right? Uh, maybe it's four or five. I mean, I think it, you know. In the case of of the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you absolutely can make an argument for that. Like if you burn any time when there's only 13 seconds left, you give them one play instead of two, and that would have been the difference, right? Um, I, it, it's it. You know, it, squib kicks are not automatic. Like they can go out of bounds. They can hit a, a player much higher. Uh, in the progression than what you expect. You know, you can line drive that thing off of one of the upbacks. Um, you can lose field position. And I, I I just don't think that special teams, I don't think they practice it enough, but I don't think they're – I think the kickoff has become so automatic that, hey, I can make these guys start at the 25, you know. Um, I'm not going to risk a return if I kick it out, out of bounds or out of the back of the end zone. So – I mean, I kind of get it with the way the kickoff rules are. But, yeah, I think in the case of the Kansas City Chiefs, I I think you could make a good argument that they should have squibbed that one um, just because they could have left Kansas City with one play. And they needed two to get in field goal range. But I, you just don't see them. And I, I think the reason, again, you don't see them is because it's it's too easy to just put your defense on the field and say, hey, if they go 75 yards, they have to earn every every yard. We're good with that. And that's that's pretty much it. It's just the change in the rules primarily. All right, Bruce had tweeted us. 
So just wondering if Todd Bowles shot himself in the foot in his quest for another head coaching job with that blitz that freed Cooper Cup for the catch to set up the game-winning field goal. Or was the actual problem the confusion by the defense? It's my good friend, by the way. Shout out to Bruce Lowett, former colleague. Uh, appreciate the question and listening. Um, okay, so did he shoot himself in the foot? What was the other half of that? Was uh, Or was the actual problem the confusion by the defense? The confusion by the defense. Let's just talk about that play. Oh, let's talk about both plays, okay? Because I don't think you can look at one or the other. And we'll get to Todd Bowles here in a minute. All right, so they got the ball, and they need a couple plays to get into field goal range for Matt Gay, who, by the way, was short, short on a 45-yard field goal because he had a little twinge, a little tweak problem. They, little Something pulled in warm-ups. And believe me, Matt Gay has the strongest leg, one of the strongest legs in the NFL, can kick it 65 yards. When you're short on a 45-yarder, that tells me he wasn't in the greatest of physical condition. But that aside, um, I think what goes overlooked, and John Romano wrote a great column about this in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com, the play before the deep shot, right, to Cooper Cup, they're playing the right defense. They're doing what most teams would do. They got two high safeties. Right, they're going to keep the ball in front of them, certainly. Uh, and then you got man under. You've got Cooper Cup in man-to-man defense with Sean Murphy bunting. So Cup sort of runs like a dig route, you know, over the middle of the field, crossing route, whatever you want to call it. And literally, Sean Murphy bunting steps on his heel and falls down, gets tripped you know, in, in coverage while he's doing that. Now, that's not great technique. You don't want to get your feet tangled, obviously. If you do, you want that guy to go down. Instead, he slipped. He went down, which gave Cooper Cup pretty much clear sailing across the middle of the field because now Murphy bunting, now there's nobody cover him. There's just a couple of deep safeties in the corner on the other side of the nickel on the other side. So not only does Cooper Cup get open and catch the ball and make some yards, but there's no one to tackle him until he's able to run out of bounds and stop the clock. If you'd have been able to tackle him in bounds, even if they complete the pass, a lot of clock's going to run off because they have no timeouts. So that was a big problem, and it was unfortunate, and it was, you know, do you blame a guy for getting his feet tangled? Is it his fault for the technique he used? I don't know. And then the final play, I you know, they say there wasn't confusion, but – all you have to do is watch Levante David stand in the middle of the field and do nothing, right? If they had an all-out blitz, then Levante David should have followed Indomitian Sue right through the middle of the field, and Sue won. He beat his guy, and I think Levante would have had a pathway to the quarterback. So if you're going to gamble there, everybody needs to blitz, right, um, if you're playing cover zero. The other thing that happened on the play was that you know, it's easily identifiable. Um, you know, Stafford knows that they're coming off the edges. And so, you know, he's got Cooper Cup running, you know, sort of, I mean, Cup is not the hot read, right? He's the guy that is is supposed to clear out for other people until they see it's cover zero. Now Stafford knows when the ball snap, he's got man coverage. Like there's only going to be one guy out there. It turns out it's Winfield, but Winfield is – sort of looking, watching the quarterback, but sort of looking underneath a little bit too much. And his feet are square rather than turning and running. He's not really in a, you know, in a run position. He hasn't turned his hips yet. And Cup just gets up on him so fast that by the time he's even, Cup is leaving, you know, because Cup's at full speed. And Stafford, who has Sue in his face, he sees that Winfield has outside leverage, so where's he going to throw the ball? He's going to throw it inside on the hash mark so that Cup can run under it and you know, just kind of led Cup to the ball and Cup tracked it and made the catch and then the rest is history. So a lot went wrong with that play. They say they didn't miscommunicate it. Um, I can tell by the reaction of Levante sort of staying in the middle of the field that he at least didn't get the fact that he was supposed to blitz. I don't know about anybody else, but he just stood there. And, you know, I think you have to credit Stafford. I think you have to credit Cup. But it was a horrendous play call in that situation because Bruce Arians said, well, they only needed 11 or 12 yards. No, they needed like 22 or 23 yards. 
you know, uh, especially when get come up short on a 45-yarder. So if you just play zone and keep the ball in front of you with two deep safeties and refuse to let them go over the top like that, they're going to have to check the ball down somewhere in the middle of the field because you're going you're gonna to play, you know, outside leverage. You're going to make them throw it inside uh, because you don't want them to go out of bounds. And when they do, they're going to have to run up, spike the ball, maybe have one play left for the end zone, that's it if they can do that. So, you know, it, it really wasn't – it was too aggressive in that situation, which is why I think Bruce Arians said on Monday that he'd like those last 40-something seconds back because it's indefensible. You know, it was indefensible against the Rams, obviously, because they scored, but it was – you just can't make that call as much as Todd Blitz loves to – or much as Todd Bowles loved to blitz. That's a new name for him. His nickname should be now Todd Blitz. Todd Bowles loves to blitz. You just can't make it in that situation after you have dug yourself out of a hole and tied this football game. Um, it's way too risky, and and uh, and it wound up costing them the game. And I think we'll look back on this game ten years from now, and everybody's going to say, "Wow, what a comeback! What a stupid call! How did they let them go get in field goal range with that all-out blitz?" We'll remember what they did on that play, and it's not a good thing. Will it affect Todd Bowles' head coaching resume? No. Um, they're not, you know, I mean, if you're influenced by that, if you're a GM, you're Trent Balky, or you're one of these GMs that's watching the game and you go, wow, that was a horrific call. It's not that you don't want him as a head coach. I mean, because, you know, you're not hiring him as a defensive coordinator, but even there, you know, check the resume. The resume is really good, right? He's been a, a coordinator in this league. He's been a head coach in this league. By now, you know what Todd Bowles is about. By now, you understand that he's excellent at his job. It, you, it would be foolish to judge anybody on one play uh, or one bad outcome. Um, could it influence them because of recency bias and stuff? Like, yeah, perhaps, but I don't think so. I think it, you know. I think if you're going to hire a Todd Bowles, you're looking at his body of work through all the years. This is not a new guy, um, but it. Let's just say this: it probably doesn't help him. But I don't know how much it hurts him, to be honest with you. Hey, now that football season is over, you know what it is? Racing season. That means that they're coming to downtown St. Petersburg. It's the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, 18th annual. Wow, it's been 18 of these now already. One of the best events in the area, of course. This one's sponsored by RP Funding. It kicks off Florida's spring break season with some high-speed excitement. Visit gpstpete.com. That's gpstpete.com for race information and tickets. Just another racing season starting right here in St. Petersburg. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Nick had tweeted us. Given the Bucks' current salary cap situation and the need to resign several key guys on offense and to try to sway Brady to return, do you think the Bucks will let Carlton Davis walk? Or will the front office prioritize working out a long-term deal with him? Yeah, you know, I, we wrote a story about this in the Tampa Bay Times. You can read on TampaBay.com trying to give you the, the sort of what our analysis of their priorities are. Um, I listed Chris Godwin as their number one priority. And fortunately for the Bucks, and I don't know how this would go over in the Godwin household, because remember, he was franchised a year ago. Now, he made $16 million. That's the good news. The bad news is it was a one-year deal. He certainly was capable of finding, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars guaranteed out there somewhere had he made it to free agency. But that's what you know. That your argument is not with the Bucks; it's with the NFLPA. That's the system they allowed. Well, guess what? You can franchise him again. You can franchise a player twice. And in this instance, now that Godwin is hurt, you can look at it one of two ways. From a club standpoint, maybe a good idea, right? Because you get a year, it's a one-year deal, again, for franchise money, which would probably be in excess of, of probably $17 million. Um, and, you know, Godwin may not be up to full speed until October, let's say, because of the lateness of his injury. 
So you get a chance to let him work himself back into shape, see what you got, and and he'll be a free agent again next year. If you're Godwin, you're like, um, hell no. This is how I got here, right? I was I could have made him $100 million. You franchised me, and then the worst thing possible happened. I was having an unbelievable year heading into free agency. I had 98 catches, 1,100-something yards, all these touchdowns, and would have set the club – you know, franchise record for catches probably would end up with like 120, 125. And instead I absolutely ripped up my knee. And now there's questions mark about what kind of receiver I'm going to be coming back. You know what? I put enough on tape. You know what Chris Godwin is all about. You know, the player, you know, the person, give me my long-term deal. Give me the hundred million dollars or whatever. I think that I, I could get on the free market. And if you don't, I'm going to pitch a stink if you try to slap that franchise tag on me. I might not even see, sign it. I don't know that that's going to be, you know, Godwin's stance or his agent's stance. I mean, he may be grateful that the Bucks are willing to franchise him again. I, I don't think that'll be the case. Um, but they have control. That's the point. The Bucks have control of Chris Godwin if they want to exercise it using the franchise tag. They could also put it on Carlton Davis if they chose to go that route. I think after Godwin, that because my belief is that that receiver room is not nearly as deep as everybody thought it was. I mean, we kind of proved that, right, uh, after losing all those guys last year, including Chris. Say what you want about Cyril Grayson and, you know, Broussard Perriman, who they picked up. Uh, Scotty Miller did very little. You know, Tyler Johnson had some really bad moments. So, you know, the idea of going into the season with Tom Brady or even without him and just having Mike Evans and then a bunch of dudes, I, I don't know, is very, very appealing. But Carlton Davis is a shutdown corner in this league. I mean, he is that guy that can travel with the best receivers in the game. And I I think he's done a really good job. He's had some injuries. He didn't play every game last year. Obviously, they missed him. But when he's in there, you know, Todd Bowles can do a lot in terms of bringing pressure with blitzes and things because he'll hold up in man coverage. He's long. He's got everything you need. So, you know, guys like that to replace them, and it's not like you got a bunch of guys on the farm. I mean, you do have Jamel Dean. You do have Sean Murphy Bunting, but Murphy Bunting will be coming up soon. Dean's going to be coming up soon. Um, you know, you can't sign everybody. I just don't – I'm a big believer in if I've got a shutdown corner, if he's one of the top five or six corners in the NFL, I'm not letting him go to another team. Uh, again, this is a salary cap issue. This is something they'll have to get creative with redoing, restructuring other contracts or pushing money down the road, even if it's for Carlton. But I think there's, you know, one or one B, you know, you can one A Godwin, one B Carlton Davis. I think he's absolutely a priority. And then after that is subjective, right? I mean, you could say Leonard Fournette, you could say Indomitian Sue, you know, you could say Rob Gronkowski if he decides to come back. But a lot of those guys, or most of them I just mentioned, are going to be one-year deals, which are you know, good and bad. You can't spread the money out. You might have some voidable years that they don't intend to play. You could do it that way, but um, you know, a lot of that money's going to go on the salary cap in 2022. I just, I think that Godwin and Carlton Davis are the two priorities. Um, I don't. I think Todd Bowles' defense is a, a, a function of coverage and rush, and you got to have the coverage on the back end. We see all saw all the injuries last year and what it did to them when Davis was out. Um, you don't want to be calling Richard Sherman off his Peloton anymore. So, yeah, get those two guys done, and then let's see what you can do with the rest. And just to show you we know what we're talking about, breaking news as we're taping this podcast. You guys will wake up to it, I'm sure, or know by the time you go to bed. Todd Bowles, you think it cost him? You think that play cost him, huh? Well, guess what? He's flying to Las Vegas, and he's going to interview in person for the Raiders head coaching job. So how about how about them apples? So, yeah. Didn't hurt Todd Bowles much, I don't think. All right, a couple more questions here, and we'll wrap it up. And we'll, we're going to do more mailbag questions tomorrow. So if you have uh, more questions, feel free to send them in to at NFL Stroud on Twitter or at SportsDayTB, or you can email Rick directly at rstroud at tampabay.com. Justin had tweeted, If Tom Brady retires, could Jason Light contact Seattle about Russell Wilson's no-trade clause? Well, he certainly could. Um, you know, I – Again, it's an NFC team. I think that's probably you know the case of Aaron Rodgers for sure. If they trade him, I don't see them trading him to an NFC team. Reminds me of when Rodgers was taken over for Brett Favre and the Bucks were in those talks uh, back in in the middle of the two thousands, and you know it was the Jets and the Bucks, uh, and he wound up being traded to the Jets. 
because I don't, you know, the Bucks played the Packers that year, and I don't think they wanted to see Brett Favre. Now Favre eventually retired again, came back out of retirement, signed with the Vikings, and did go against the Packers in their own division. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, Russell Wilson, a, a, a possibility if he wants out of Seattle. Um, I think we talked about, you know, Derek Carr's in the last year of his contract, which was worth about $19 million, although I can't fathom if I was an incoming coach. One of the things that would attract me to the Raiders' job is Derek Carr. Uh, so I don't know that they would consider trading him. Deshaun Watson still has that weird situation in Houston where they paid him $40 million not to play. He's got pending civil litigation uh, that the league could then eventually suspend him for. Uh, so that's kind of a dicey situation, but you know, he's out there and you just don't know what other quarterbacks might shake out. You know, um, does Kirk cousins end up, you know, somehow falling out of Minnesota. I mean, you got so many head coaching changes, um, that you can see some of these guys might want to go with different quarterbacks and, 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 you know, uh, all kinds of things could happen. Aaron Rodgers again, I, I, I don't see that happening, but I think the bucks would be in it for, for anybody that they perceive, you know, with the trade or certainly free agency uh, that they could get because I don't think they want to run Kyle Trask out there next year. I don't think that's the plan. Uh, you could conceivably uh, use Blaine Gabbert as the bridge quarterback if you wanted to. I don't think that's a winning formula. Take a look at the Bucks' schedule, by the way. They play nothing but playoff teams next year. It's just incredible. Uh, it's a very difficult schedule. So, um, yeah, I, I – I mean, the, the Tom Brady retirement thing now with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich both doing in-person interviews at other teams <laughs> seems rather daunting, man. I told you people, I told you people, enjoy it while it lasts because it won't be here for long. It could all, it's a house of cards, man. It could fall apart before our eyes. So by tomorrow's podcast, we may have an answer on all these questions. Who knows? All right, well, you brought up Kyle Trask. So Jeff had tweeted, Watching Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen made me think of life after Tom Brady, which led me to think about Kyle. What is the status on trash development, and do the Bucs see him as an ascending franchise quarterback in waiting or just the next Ryan Griffin? I need this to be 100% correct, please. Always 100% correct. Um, he, he is a quarterback in waiting. The question is how long will he wait? Uh, I think that they have a lot of confidence uh, in Kyle developing into an NFL quarterback and probably a pretty good one, or you wouldn't have taken him at the bottom of the second round. Kyle Trask has a history of, of waiting and, and developing, and when he gets his chance of ripping it and doing really, really well. This goes back to high school. You know, This goes to the University of Florida. He's always been that guy that didn't start right away. He's always been that guy that continued to work hard and, and get better, and I watched him every single day be the first quarterback on, on the field, take all the extra throws, uh, work on his footwork, work on everything. Um, and he's had a seat next to the GOAT now for an entire year, has learned how to prepare, has learned how to watch film, has gotten all the tips uh, that he needed to absorb. Um, I'm not saying that Brady was coaching him because he wasn't, but you were in the room where it happened. So, you know, what better guy to learn from for a season? So I think they have confidence in Kyle. I don't know that he's quite ready to turn it over to and say, we're going to go win a Super Bowl next year and, and we're going to develop this guy because – You've got a lot of players that, you know, are trying to make decisions on their careers and coming back and, you know, are we going to win? Are we in it to win? I still think they would look elsewhere to try to find uh, a veteran that's uh, got a track record. But if they couldn't, you know, Bruce Arians said on Monday, he goes, I'm comfortable with what we have. I'm comfortable. But, you know, comfortable doesn't necessarily mean you think you can win a Super Bowl with them either. They, they would have been comfortable you know, with Jameis Winston for another year if they had to, or comfortable with Teddy Bridgewater. They were really excited about Tom Brady, and I think that's what the door number two is all about. It's like you don't know who maybe is going to shake out of the weeds, and all of a sudden, that you know, that's how they got Tom Brady. So they would definitely look elsewhere, but Trask is not quite, in my opinion, you know, he had an entire redshirt year. He wasn't active one game, didn't take a snap, Um I think the plan would was probably for him to do this two years, quite frankly, because Tom was signed through 2022. So if Tom comes back, they're right on schedule with Trask. If he doesn't, does that schedule move ahead? I don't know that it moves ahead in training camp or the OTAs. He might get a look at it. I guess they could use Blaine Gabbard or bring in another veteran, you know, to try to 
like I said, be that bridge guy. And if Trask is ready, they'll play him. But I don't think that that's necessarily their, you know, obviously it's Brady, then door number two, and then Kyle Trask if you need him. If you're uh, looking for a little respite from all the football talk and something to do, uh, it's coming up very soon. It's the 18th Annual Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, presented by RP Funding. That happens uh, this February 25th to the 27th. Lots of fun down there. Of course, that great course through the you know the downtown St. Petersburg, 1.8 miles, ends up at Albert Wooded Airport. You can uh, get some information on this by visiting gpstpete.com. That's gpstpete.com for all your race information and tickets. All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, we'll have more mailbag questions for you guys the rest of the week. Um, certainly a lot of questions about the Bucks, the NFL. It's understandable. Uh, the Lightning got some bad news. Nikita Kucherov has tested positive. He's in the, he's in the COVID protocol. Uh, it's interesting because coming up here very shortly, they are going to change the rules to where only players who are symptomatic uh, and need to be tested will be tested. So just miss that change of protocol. But uh, Well, we don't know Kuchel, if he is symptomatic. He could be symptomatic for all we know, too. So He could be. You're right. Um, but I'm just saying, like, in the future, you won't even test unless you were. Right. Um, but it looks like, what, five days minimum? Five days? Is so, yeah, he's definitely out for Thursday's game. Saturday, I guess it depends on when did he go in the protocol. And the team announced it today because they had practice. Right. Did he actually test on Sunday or Monday? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't know the window there. They don't really get into specifics. So we know he's in COVID protocol. Uh, he played Saturday night in San Jose. So Sunday would have been the earliest he would have been tested. So depending on when he went in the COVID protocol and, of course, how he's feeling, too. I mean, if he's got symptoms, that's a whole different story, too. So, uh, But he definitely would not play Thursday against New Jersey. Vegas on Saturday. If he went on the protocol on Tuesday, then I believe he's out for Saturday, too. Well, it's it's uh, bad timing, but, you know, um, there's never a good time to, to sit out. But uh, they get those games uh, Thursday night against New Jersey, Saturday night against Vegas, so maybe he'll make it back by Saturday. We'll see. Thanks for your questions. Uh, We appreciate them. We have some left over. We will get to them uh, throughout the rest of the week. Lots of coaching news flying at us all the time. Check out TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times. Um, Lots of things could change by the time you hear this podcast uh, whenever you listen to it, of course, on Wednesday morning, but um, we will have it all for you on TampaBay.com. So, Thanks again. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.